CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Tuesday, May 9th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with Adrian Bluss for your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, some narratives, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and most other top-traded tokens are down, and markets showing a second day of overwhelming red. The largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization was recently trading lower as investors continued to try to make sense of the surge of interest in the Pepe meme coin. And following Binance congestion issues that forced the exchange giant to temporarily suspend Bitcoin withdrawals over the weekend. And looking a bit deeper, the Bitcoin network's collectible token congestion is to blame, which caused the largest exchange out there to suspend withdrawals over the weekend. Quote, What's going on right now is Bitcoin is quite unprecedented. We haven't seen this for many, many years, the co-founder and CEO of 21Co said in a recent appearance on Coindesk TV. We'll discuss this more in today's headlines. Zooming back out, the global head of research at Bitcoin investment firm Nidig wrote in a Friday newsletter that despite short-term price fluctuations, BTC is increasingly serving as a buy-and-hold asset, at least according to on-chain data. Quote, With more Bitcoins being held for longer, a dwindling supply is available for short-term trading, he wrote, adding that this may result in increased volatility or trading costs through wider spreads. Given Bitcoin's eventually fixed supply nature, this also means that fewer Bitcoins are available for others to purchase. And that may result in upward pressure on the price if demand for Bitcoin grows, he wrote. Long-term Bitcoin holders are continuing to add to their Bitcoin holdings, despite Bitcoin trading at a slight premium. Meanwhile, the Coindesk Bitcoin Trend Indicator, or the BTI, is showing that the asset is in the middle of a significant uptrend. Long-term holders' 30-day change in Bitcoin supply has been trending higher since March 31st. And long-term supply, by the way, is defined as Bitcoins that have not moved on the blockchain in at least 155 days. At that point, analysts note that investors are often less likely to spend those older coins. So, an increase in that metric reflects dormant supply, as well as bullish sentiment. The uptick in those long-term holdings is occurring as Bitcoin prices have flattened out over essentially an identical period of time, implying that Bitcoin holders, at least partially, view the recent pause in price movement as an opportunity to acquire more. Year-to-date, by the way, Bitcoin prices remain up about 68%. And taking another step back, the gap between Bitcoin's price in US dollars on prominent digital asset exchanges like Binance and Coinbase and the price on Binance's U.S. arm, Binance.us, has widened sharply this month, causing unease among crypto commentators. This morning, the Bitcoin-U.S. dollar pair listed on Binance.us traded at nearly a $650 premium to its Coinbase or Binance-listed counterparts, a significant rise from the premiums of around $20 that we saw at the end of April, according to data from charting platform TradingView. 
So what's behind this? At least according to Twitter-based analyst Fusey This, the premium on Binance.us likely results from market makers leaving the exchange in anticipation of regulatory action. Essentially, a lot more people want to sell dollars held on the exchange for Bitcoin, which can be easily moved off the exchange, than the other way around. And that imbalance in supply and demand dynamics specific to that Binance.us exchange is likely the cause of this weird pricing, notably in the run-up to the collapse of Mt. Gox, which was the Binance of its time. Although it's important to note that just because people are scared of this outcome and positioning accordingly, that doesn't necessarily mean that their concerns are correct. Still, it is a significant warning sign and something to pay attention to. Elsewhere, Ether followed a similar pattern, falling below the $1,900 level that it's held for much of the past seven days. Ether's deflationary narrative following the protocol's latest upgrade has strengthened as the native token's net issuance, or the annualized inflation rate, has recently dropped to a negative 2.7%, according to ultrasound.money. More than 62,300 Ether, worth about $116 million, have been burned over the past seven days alone, once again according to Ultrasound Money. Quote, both BTC and ETH haven't tested near-term support since the rally we saw in mid-March, said the CEO of crypto fund manager Bitbull Capital in an email to Coindesk. Most other major tokens were also trading in the red this morning, including crypto payment-focused XRP and Polygon's Matic, which both dropped by over 8% at one point. The Pepe craze, by the way, appears to be waning, with its market cap dropping to some $878 million after peaking above $1 billion over the weekend, Masari data showed. That's not to say that things can't come back, but it is a reminder that this is gambling. And if you're into that, hey, have fun, but uh, don't act like it's anything else. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analysts, Lilla Ledesma, Amkar Gredblay, Glenn Williams, Jocelyn Yang, Sam Reynolds, and James Rubin. Bitcoin is currently trading at $27,532 per token. That's down 1.5% since our show yesterday, while Ether is trading at $1,840 per ETH. That's down by about the same amount over the same time period, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, we saw a slightly more modest drop, but still drop. We are looking at an absolute reading this morning of 1,215, compared against yesterday's reading of 1,224, which represents a three-quarters of one percentage point loss across top-traded tokens on the day. And now, with traditional markets, here's Adrian Blost. Thank you, Adam. Global stocks fell this morning as traders awaited crucial data on U.S. inflation and as President Joe Biden prepared to meet congressional leaders to discuss a looming government debt crisis. In the U.S., the tech-heavy Nasdaq led the losses, ticking down four-tenths of a percent, while the S&P 500 lost just over one-third of a percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost a quarter of a point. In Europe, the regional stock 600 lost just under two-thirds of a percent, while Germany's DAX lost just under four-tenths of a point. London's FTSE 100, meanwhile, lost just under a quarter of a point. In Asia, stocks are mixed, with Hong Kong Sang Seng Index leading the losses at 2.1% lower. Mainland China's Shanghai Composite Index lost 1.1%, while Japan's Nikkei 225 bucked the trend and gained 1%. In commodities markets, Brent crude, the global benchmark for oil, lost 1.25%, trading at $76 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, gained just under one-third of a point, trading at $2,036 per troy ounce. Today's traditional market coverage draws from the FT and MarketWatch. Stay tuned for After the Break, and we'll take a look at central banks, gold, and Bitcoin's latest controversial craze. Back in a minute. Hey everyone, Adrian Doc Plus here. Firstly, thank you for listening and for leaving your reviews. We see you. If you're listening on Spotify by chance, some of you noticed that you can reply a comment on every individual episode. So if you have any feedback, questions, or want to share what you think about a particular episode, just click on the episode on Spotify and hit reply under the Q&A section. 
You'll find me there. We want to hear your questions and get you all involved. I'll comb through the replies and bring up any questions we see fit on the show. So it'd be great to hear from you. And thank you again for listening. Welcome back. As we've discussed many times on this show before, the big story here isn't about cryptocurrency. It's about money. And more importantly, it's about the predictable moment that's happened a number of times over the last 500 years, where the nation that runs the currently dominant global currency, used to make international trade easier, abuses that incredible privilege so much and for so long that, despite all the inconveniences that come with it, essentially the world is forced to abandon it for the next least worst option. Right now, that currency is the dollar, and we're somewhere in that moment. I don't predict timing because complex systems don't break down linearly, it's more a straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation, where typically it's a very small catalyst that tips the system into sudden collapse, less the end of the war in Afghanistan, and more the overnight collapse of the Soviet Union. But set that aside for a moment and let's ask the big question. What will money look like after the dollar? There are really three options. The first is regional currency monopolies, where essentially no one currency acts as a global reserve, but different regions use their power to make their unbacked currency the most dominant player to at least ease frictions in the region. The second is something like Bitcoin, or at least a system built on top of Bitcoin, which has many advantages over similar systems built on gold, but which is still really, really new technology by any standard. In the interest of time, I'm going to skip this one today. And the third is a return to a gold-backed system, where there is no need for a global reserve currency, although there often is one, because each national currency is backed by the nation's gold holdings, and their prices aren't just relative to each other's economic potential, but they're priced based on the value of those holdings per unit of currency. And it's that last option that's worth discussing today. Central banks around the world have been and continue to accumulate gold in what is likely a defensive move, just in case that's how the system reboots, or perhaps because they intend to push the system to reboot in that fashion. It's a bit of a game of musical chairs today, because were it known that gold would be used like that in the future, the value of it today would be staggeringly higher. Central banks for decades suppressed the price of gold because it was the most obvious indicator that the money they made us use instead of it was losing value. And today, if court records are any indication, they do the same thing via their big bank collaborators around the world through these centralized gold fixed prices. And yet, they're also the biggest buyers of the stuff. Now, I would ask if you can think of any other asset, any kind of asset, that central banks are buying and have been buying in extremely large quantities where the purpose is not to prop up the economy or bail out a particular group of people from bad choices. Let me know if you think of anything, because I've been drawing a blank, and I think it emphasizes how different gold really is, at least as far as central bank thinking is concerned. All told, central banks acquired some 228 tons of gold in the first quarter. That's a 176% increase compared to just one year ago. And while that's lower than the figures that we saw in the last two quarters of last year, this was nonetheless the strongest first quarter on record. According to the World Gold Council, quote, this is all the more impressive considering it follows the record-breaking demand of last year, end quote. If you want to dig into the numbers on this one, and Singapore, by the way, was the largest accumulator, which is kind of an interesting thing, you can check out Zero Hedge's coverage linked in the show notes. In other news, following Ether's recent upgrade that closed the loop on consensus and allowed tokens staked or awarded as part of that system to be withdrawn for the first time, the number of Ether tokens powering consensus is growing, and that's likely because users are increasingly comfortable with the safety of the system, and those who wanted to pull their funds for whatever reason have had the opportunity to do so. 
And what's more, Ether's new system means that as traders of meme coin Pepe continue to flail around, sometimes making really stupid choices that cost them big fees, those mistakes and those fees are going to Ethereum's consensus system, which means the folks participating are benefiting significantly. It's a fascinating dynamic, and we've got two stories linked in the show notes on this one from Coindesk. Meanwhile, things are heating up in the world of Bitcoin, and we've got a series of stories this morning suggesting there's more trouble ahead. First off, a bit of basics here. Bitcoin is a neutral permissionless protocol that, although we might think of it as an internet native form of money, is actually just a way to share data in a tamper evident way without needing to trust anybody to maintain those records. Now, you can do a data protocol without a money built into it, but you can't really do an internet native money without a permissionless data protocol. There are a lot of people out there who believe that because they think that money is its only utility, that they're right, and it is. But that brings us to a very important thing to remember when you're dealing with decentralization. You can believe whatever you want, but so can anybody else. And no matter how much you believe that you're right, only people who agree with you need to care. And if you act or speak as if you have some sort of authority or moral correctness that goes beyond simply being a user of the system, you'll often find that people will do the thing that you don't want them to just to prove that they can, and to a certain extent to revel in your impotent frustration. And it is with all that in mind that we come to Ordinals, the latest round of technology enabling tokens other than Bitcoin to be built on top of Bitcoin. As collectible token enthusiasts have flocked to the new system, users' costs in the world of Bitcoin have risen alongside its utilization, pushing transaction fees higher as more users compete for limited space. This was, of course, always the plan for Bitcoin in the post-block size wars era. The idea was that no matter how big you make blocks, cheap space will always attract users, and the competition between all these players would be how miners are paid for their work. And that, at least for the moment, appears to have come to pass. For the first time in years, miners are earning more fees pooled by actual users of the blockchain instead of earning the vast majority of their revenue from the block reward, where new bitcoins are added to the supply as a reward to the miner. Is it sustainable? We really don't know. I was intensely involved in the last such moment like this, which started in 2014 and I would argue culminated in 2017, when essentially all non-currency uses of Bitcoin transitioned to Ethereum, which was happy to have them, in sharp contrast to the Bitcoin situation at the time, which was quite hostile. But while we don't know what will happen from here, we can predict that things will get more crazy before they get less. Just this morning, Binance announced that it had integrated Bitcoin-based collectible tokens via the Ordinals protocol into its exchange, which means that a massive new potential market of collectors is here or is likely coming soon. And to a certain extent, that validates a lot of the assumptions from the people who jumped right into this protocol, thinking that it was important, even if to me it looked quite a bit like a rerun of something that I'd seen before. Personally, I've long been of the belief that if Bitcoin expects to survive the real attacks, the ones from nation states whose monetary monopolies are threatened as the next era of money comes into focus, then it obviously must be able to survive a bunch of doofuses putting memes on the blockchain. If that's the thing that kills it, it was already dead and we just didn't know. And I don't think that's true. We've got a trio of articles linked here, again, courtesy of Coindesk. And finally, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried filed pretrial motions to dismiss a majority of the charges he faces late Monday. Bankman-Fried, who is set to go on trial this fall, faces over a dozen different charges ranging from wire, securities, and commodities fraud allegations to bribery claims. The charges were brought across multiple superseding indictments tied to his conduct as former chief executive officer of the Bahamas-based crypto exchange FTX, which, as we all know, dramatically collapsed last November, alongside nearly 100 related firms and subsidiaries. 
In his pretrial motions, Bankman-Fried's attorneys moved to dismiss charges of conspiring to commit wire fraud on FTX customers, of conspiracy to commit wire fraud on Alameda research lenders, and of conspiracy to commit bank fraud on the grounds that prosecutors did not, quote, state an offense for failure to allege a valid property right, end quote. They also moved to dismiss the bank fraud conspiracy, unlicensed money transmitter operation, unlawful political contribution, and bribery charges on discovery grounds. Coindesk's Nick Day has the details. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send the show an email at podcast at coindesk.com or you can email me directly at adamlevine at coindesk.com. If you like what we're doing, we always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. This episode was produced by Adrian Blust and myself with further support from the podcast team over at coindesk.com. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Markets Daily.